It's the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America. The National Security Hour exposes the wolves in sheep's clothing and their nefarious plots to undermine and destroy U.S. national security. Welcome to the National Security Hour on the American Outlaw Talk Radio Network on iHeartRadio, where you are going to hear the voices of freedom and also the outlaw truth from military and intel experts in our country. I am your host, Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Singiri, U.S. Army retired, the CEO of the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement, and the founder of United Australian PL. And you can also follow me on my own show, New Paradigms with Sargis Singiri, which is featured on Rumble under the uh, Near East Center for Strategic Engagement channel. Today, uh, I have a dear guest, uh, and uh, he's an expert on what is happening overseas uh, in Israel. Uh, my uh, dear guest tonight, or today, I should say, is Bob Schwartz for the first uh, show of the year. He is a retired senior policy advisor at the Council General of Israel to the Midwest. Uh, and before, of course, his assignment as a senior advisor, uh, Robert also held several positions, uh, which included the uh, press officer, public affairs, and also political advisor before his promotion to his position in August of 2006. Um, also, uh, Robert uh, advised the Israeli diplomatic staff on a wide range of economic, homeland security, and interfaith issues. Uh, and in June of 2018, he was able to help create the consulate economic team, which uh, works with uh, organizations such as American uh, Israeli Chamber Chicago, uh, the um, uh, Water Council Milwaukee, and also the Michigan Israeli Business um, Accelerator uh, to assess and also pursue, uh, pursue opportunities for Israeli economic commercial partnerships with Israeli high-tech sector. Bob, it's good to have you here on the uh, National Security Hour. Welcome to the show. All right. Thank you, Sergis. Nice to be here. Bob, I want to start off where um, a lot of us, um, when October 7 kicked off, of course, with the attacks by the Hamas terror group into Israel, uh, which to this date has 250,000 Israelis that are displaced, um, almost 1,200 plus Israelis killed, um, and we still have a number of uh, uh, Israelis and uh, foreign nationals living in Israel, to include Americans who were kidnapped and are still held hostage in Gaza. What happened from uh, your perspective and what you're hearing uh, with the failure of Israel either one, to detect or two, to be able to stop uh, the attack that took place uh, on October 7th? Okay. <clears throat> I think the audience needs to remember that on October 6th, there was a ceasefire. No Israelis were killed. No, no women were raped. No babies were beheaded or put in ovens. And no Palestinians were killed, and no Palestinian cities had been bombed. On October 7th, which we call the Black uh, Sabbath, uh, the Black Shabbat, uh, everything changed. Uh, the most Jews were killed in one day since the Holocaust. You've seen reports and videos of some of the atrocities that were done uh, 
it's hard to believe that in this day and age, uh, people could be so brutal. As one journalist uh, who saw the IDF compiled videos that Hamas took themselves said the worst thing about the whole thing was that they were laughing as they were committing atrocities. Uh, and they were talking about people like they were things or animals. This is the extent that in their minds they had dehumanized the people that they were killing. And that's a blood-curdling uh, image and uh, something that we can't forget. Uh, the media and uh, the uh, pro-Hamas protesters would like us to move on and just focus on uh, the Gazans uh, who have been killed. Those figures are greatly inflated. Uh, and they don't include the eight to 9,000 Hamas fighters that were killed in Gaza or the 1,500 Hamas terrorists that were killed in Israel on October 7th. And as we know from past experience, uh, <clears throat> uh, these figures are always inflated by people that died of natural causes, etc. And uh, anyway, obviously there have been there have been deaths. Israel has tried, as as always, to try and minimize civilian casualties. But when Hamas hides its its installations, its military facilities, its weapons depots underneath homes, hospitals, and mosques in their series of 500 kilometers of terror tunnels, it's inevitable that some civilians will be killed. And the onus for that is on Hamas. Uh, in international law, they always talk about war crimes and genocide. But in essence, they're the ones that are committing war crimes. And they're the ones that are trying to commit genocide. As one of their chief political uh, advisors said on Lebanese radio, uh, if we can, we will do October 7th again and again until Israel is destroyed and all the Jews are killed. To me, that's the definition of genocide. How could it happen? Israel has a vaunted uh, intelligence service, obviously, with Mossad for foreign intelligence and Shabak with domestic intelligence. The one difference uh, between now and what existed in Gaza before 2005, when Israel had a physical presence in Gaza is uh, the lack of human intelligence, human. There's only so much that you can you can see from the air, from satellites, etc. You need to know what's going on in the ground. And Israel, since 2021, since the last war that mostly Islamic Jihad participated in, uh, Israel has actually been trying to build up the Gaza Strip to, to help Hamas in the mistaken idea, obviously, now that they were focusing on trying to uh, help the people of Gaza to build up the Strip, Israel allowed concrete, massive amounts of concrete to be brought in to repair roads and schools and houses, etc., and hospitals. Uh, as we know now, of course, that concrete was used to build terror tunnels, and the Gaza civilians, the Gaza population was not helped at all. Uh, but Israel intelligence did not necessarily see anything untoward going on, despite some reports of, uh, of a buildup and something happening, uh, because to some extent they didn't want to. Uh, they were hoping that things had really changed. And so there was amount of self-delusion on the part of Israeli intelligence and politicians uh, that they could not 
They could easily not pay attention to this front, focus on the West Bank, where there was an upsurge in terror attacks, and also focus on the northern border with Hezbollah. And uh, there's a tendency in Western societies that you want to project your values onto your enemy. And in the case of Islamist terror groups, that's a terrible mistake to do. Because basically, uh, they're not thinking the same way. We tried to build up their economy, thinking that if we can improve the lives of Gazans, uh, then they won't want to attack us and they won't want to engage in destructive war. And that's the impression that Hezbollah, that Hamas, excuse me, uh, intentionally gave. They, they did a very good job of deceiving us and, uh, and we allowed it to happen. So, you know, military intelligence is, has two parts to it, as you know, uh, the gathering of intelligence and then the analysis of it. And in both cases, I believe there was a failure on the part of the intelligence. There will be investigations, etc. And uh, I'm sure some heads will roll uh, because this can never happen again. But the important thing about October 7th is that because of the a massive amount, the massive numbers of attackers, and by the way, not only uh, not only Hamas terrorist fighters, but also Gaza civilians. This is something you need to keep in mind because they came in with the fighters. They committed rapes. They committed murders. There was one incident at the Nova Music Festival where uh, over 200 people were killed, young people listening to music. Uh, it was one of the uh, people from the festival was on his knees and boys aged about 10 to 13 uh, were standing over him and the Hamas fighter said, here's a gun, shoot him. And they did. Uh, this is the fruits of generation of education in mostly UN schools that dehumanizes Jews and that says, these are targets. This is how you kill them. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, compounded with the experience in the summer camps where they actually go on uh, missions to hunt down Jews. So this is the fruits of that educational system. And of course, is another reason why 75% of Israelis in a poll taken the other day said the UNRWA has to be put out of Gaza and eliminated because they are aiding and abetting the terrorists and the, and the terrorist mentality. Uh, so that's what you had after October 7th. <clears throat> Hamas knew that Israel would retaliate, you know, in great force, greater than ever before. Uh, in past skirmishes, Israel was reluctant to actually go into Gaza. In 2014, they did. <clears throat> but they've never gone in, excuse me, they've never gone in on this scale and in this organized of a of a way. Some military analysts are saying, look, the, the fact that they're willing to do it and the way they've done it in the organized fashion that they've gone in and the effectiveness of the IDF in eliminating Hamas, its commanders, its installations, the tunnels, uh, was a great sign of how good the IDF is. Uh, it's going to take a long time. Uh, I don't like it when commanders come on and say, well, it'll take a year or so. I mean, you know, don't say it. Yeah, just don't say it because immediately people will start thinking, well, we're not going to support this for all that time. We don't want an endless war. You know, just do it. Just say, we'll go in until it's finished and that'll be it.
So uh, that's where we are. And uh, basically, uh, you know, we, we're going to fight and we're going to win. And uh, that's all I have to say about that at this point. You know, uh, Bob, uh, what's interesting, especially like you said, you know, you don't want to put a timeline because you're supposed to fight towards a goal and regardless of how long the goal takes. But it has to be achievable, of course, uh, and there has to be support, and not just po uh, financially, politically and uh, resource wise. Um would would when you were at the consulate, uh, you work with the Israeli National Police, Israeli Home Front Command, uh, Natal, and other uh, government agencies or organizations to sponsor conferences and training workshops for the Midwest, um, uh, based uh, federal, state, and local uh, law enforcement and emergency management agencies. So you understand the requirements that uh, it takes for these multi-organization units and how networking is important. What is surprising for Americans is that, and it, somewhat of a fear for the United States, because U.S. always saw Israel um, as having a need to be in the Middle East while everybody else was running away. And they understand that uh, Israel, based on its historical um, uh, attitude and wants and desires, was going to stay in a region where it's surrounded by enemies. Um, it was a little bit surprising for us that we believe from the U.S. side that Israel would have had this extensive network that would have uh, been um, everywhere uh, when it comes to human within all the nations of the Middle East, especially when you have a Israeli capability that can go into an Iranian reactor uh, and be able to bring information out that is shared with the world to show what uh, Iran's um, uh, you know capabilities are. And I do know that a number of those human folks that volunteered to be that human within the uh, network of Hamas were found out and killed. I always say that one thing we had um, in common uh, as far as American spies were concerned when we had the Cold War with the Russians, that Almost every single one of them was either found out or was killed, captured or killed by the Russians. And we believe that the uh, Israelis, in this case, would have had, because of the need to be in that region, a far stronger, more capable human network there. I do want to be able to come back in the second segment and kind of take your thoughts as to um, what were the internal dynamics or issues, and I know you kind of touched upon them generally. That you know, uh, the Israeli um, 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 government may have just been a little bit laxed here, but it uh, boggles our mind for us because you living amongst the enemy is not like you're an osher move like the U.S. I can understand that kind of filtering that ideology in the U.S. side, even with an open southern border where everybody's coming in through it. But we were just a little bit surprised about why the Israelis uh, were not able to understand the importance of developing that network. Uh, so I'll ask that in a second. So when we come back, uh, I do want to remind our viewers out there that American Out Loud Talk Radio plays on iHeartRadio Network, and you can also listen on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. We have the best-in-class apps available on Apple, Android, and Alexa, where we stream 
And now you can also hear them on the podcast on those same apps. We will uh, come back uh, in our discussion with uh, uh, with uh, Robert uh, and uh, really kind of take a look at the importance of the coming war with Hezbollah, uh, which uh, uh, seems that you cannot avoid and uh, hopefully give an answer in the final segment as to what we are seeing and what might be the possibility of what the Middle East will look like now that uh, there's a full-on war to wipe out Hamas over the next decade. Again, this is the National Security Hour. I am your host, Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Singer, U.S. Army, retired. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. Welcome back to the National Security Hour on American Outlaw Talk Radio Network on iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Lieutenant Colonel Sorgis Singiri, U.S. Army Retired. Um, I do want to take this opportunity in the second segment for the first show of the 2024 to wish all the extended families of the uh, National Security Hour out there and friends and followers a Merry Christmas and a Happy Blessed New Year. Uh, we hope that you had an opportunity to spend some quality time with your friends and family members over the holiday weekend. And uh, we hope that uh, in the coming year, you're going to receive uh, many more blessings and happiness uh, throughout the year. Uh, with that said, um, I do want to go back to our wonderful guest today and um, uh, discuss really what are some of the issues that Israel is dealing with, especially when I finished up with the last question that I had as to uh, why the, the extensive humid resources that we believe Israel had uh, throughout the region may not be there. Uh, my dear guest again is uh, Bob Schwartz, a retired senior policy advisor at the Council General of Israel to the Midwest. Uh, and uh, Bob was also very instrumental in being uh, bringing cyber uh, tech capabilities to Indiana. Uh, and I guess, again, Bob, I go back to the question. I do know we we spent a lot of time on hum uh, signal intelligence. Uh, for us, from an American perspective, we're very fearful with what happened on October 7, given the fact that we honestly believe that there were extensive human capabilities that Israel had throughout the entire Arab world because you have to live amongst them with these folks. Is there something in the laws of Israel, something that did not allow maybe Israel to expand its human capability more than we thought it would have had in the Arab world? 
<laughs> well, first of all, you have to understand that when Israel left in 2005, we took down all the, we, we left all the housing, we left the synagogues, we dug up the cemeteries, we really left. The military left, etc. cetera. Uh, you know, Hamas and the, P, the PA or the PLO that was in charge for a year or so before they were uh, thrown out, that's uh, Abbas's organization, uh, thrown off rooftops. Um, you know, they, they did a very thorough cleansing of any Israeli assets uh, that uh, that still remain. The head of uh, Hamas now, Yahya Sinwar, was part of a group that uh, that uh, sought out Palestinian collaborators. Anybody who collaborated with Israel, he killed many of them himself. Uh, he was imprisoned in Israel uh, for several life terms. He was released in the deal that returned Israeli soldier Galad Shalit, along with over a thousand other Palestinian prisoners. Uh, a terrible bargain, uh, especially given the fact that he is now free to to plan these horrific attacks. So he really didn't have uh, a lot of human resources left uh, in Gaza. A lot of people at the time criticized it uh, justifiably uh, to the extent that we left. But the idea then by Ariel Sharon was that uh, Gaza would be the Singapore of the Middle East. We were giving the Palestinians an opportunity to show what they could do if there were no uh, Israeli presence in, in the area. So this was a test case, which obviously has uh, failed miserably. Uh, but it was an opportunity, again, another opportunity that was missed uh, by the Palestinians. But then again, it was an opportunity they probably didn't want anyway, because basically the idea that we have as Westerners is if you improve people's lives economically, socially, etc., cetera, uh, they're going to uh, mellow and become Westernized, etc. This is the same idea that we pursued with China, that if we let them into the World Trade Organization open up their markets and let them pursue world markets that they would moderate uh, in their policies. It was It's as wrong in China as it was in Gaza, uh, because basically that doesn't mean anything. And the best example of that is that uh, just before this attack, 18,000 people from Gaza were in Israel to work. They come in every day. It used to be even more than that. They come in times what they would in Gaza. They help support the Gaza economy. And uh, yet, despite those efforts and despite the efforts of Israel to allow Qatar to uh, send in boatloads of money to improve the uh, which then went to terror tunnels, not to the, not to the Palestinians, uh, it makes no difference. The reason is because they are ideologically Islamist-driven. And until we understand that they and Hezbollah and Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and to a lesser extent, even the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank, they are driven by a fanatical Islamic ideology. They don't even care about establishing a Palestinian state. The, the idea of the two-state solution uh, is uh, has been flawed from the beginning uh, because they don't care about having a state, they, all they want to do is eliminate Israel and take the Jews out of the Dharam al-Islam, as it's called, the Islamic realm in the Middle East, 
Jews don't belong there, even though, of course, we were there for thousands of years before there was Islam. And Christians don't belong there either. And they preceded uh, the establishment of Islam by uh, hundreds of years. Uh, so nobody else is there. If Muslims ever rule the territory, that means that territory always has to stay in Muslim hands. And uh, this is the way they think. And this is why uh, to approach how to end this war and how to uh, build a better future, if that's possible, uh, we have to keep that in mind, that it's a factor of an ideology. And that's why Prime Minister Netanyahu says we have to de-radicalize Gaza and the West Bank uh, if we have any hope of, uh, of improving the situation. Whether that's going to happen or not is uh, another question. But, uh, you know, as far as the intelligence failure, uh, it was, uh, to some analysts have called it a groupthink. As far as Hamas goes, they said, well, they're not really powerful enough to do a lot of damage. They're not organized enough to do a lot of damage. They don't have the weaponry to do a lot of damage. And the IDF could just come in and smack them down and, and, and do what we've been doing, mowing the grass, as they call it. Uh, and check. And, of course, all those assumptions were absolutely wrong. Uh, Hamas has been, uh, Hamas and Islamic Jihad have been training for years to do this. They've been stockpiling weapons and supplies for years from Iran and from other countries. Uh, you know, they found a whole huge cache of Chinese weapons in, uh, in one of the underground tunnels. Uh, you know, we don't know exactly how they got there, whether they came from Iran or whether they came through Egypt. Uh, the Philadelphia corridor, which we gave back uh, when we withdrew from Gaza to Egyptian control, is just a sieve for, uh, you know, it's, it's an open, it's like our border as far as smuggling of weapons and people, etc. There are about 750 Israeli Egyptian troops guarding it. Uh, it's very easy to conceive of the fact that either by intimidation from Hamas and Islamic Jihad or through bribery, that they look the other way when they're bringing all these supplies into uh, into Gaza. So uh, the, the amount and sophistication of arms and weapons that Hamas has amassed uh, is surprised, surprised the Israelis. Uh, and they shouldn't have been surprised. You know, these kinds of things show the, the, the degree of the intelligence failure. But basically, it's this mentality. It's a mentality that they weren't a real threat. They weren't like Hezbollah which is a much more serious threat, and uh, they could be controlled. And obviously, this operation, very sophisticated, very organized, well-planned. Uh, they use some of the workers that come to Israel as, uh, as spies, basically, to give them information and intel about the layout of the kibbutzim that they attacked, as well as uh, weaknesses in the fence. You might, you might remember there were a lot of... Uh, you know, of mass uh, rushing towards the fence at various times. And uh, the purpose of that, besides causing a distraction, was to test for weaknesses. And uh, they found them. So the idea that you could build fences as a permanent buffer, again, was proven wrong. And when people are talking now about let's establish a buffer in Gaza or in Lebanon, uh, let's face it, if they want to penetrate that buffer, they will. They'll find a way. And you can't 
no matter how high tech your fence is, etc. And this was another problem with the the assessment. I mean, we had all this technology. The fences were very sophisticated. And then they took out uh, the cameras and the sensors with uh, primitive drones, with explosives. So again, low tech can take out high tech if it's properly managed. And that's another lesson that we need to, to have learned. Uh, hopefully we have. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, this was a serious, serious flaw that has to be examined. I had a friend of mine who was uh, briefing um, um, counterparts in Israel. Um, this was uh, some years ago. And um, of course, you know, uh, unconventional warfare is a uh, special forces uh, mission set. And uh, um, an Israeli uh, officer asked him, he said, is the U.S. the best at unconventional warfare? And he said, no, it is the, uh, 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 is the Iranians uh, because they've been practicing it and been using it because that's the only tool they have to be able to defeat us on the battlefield. And um, um, there was a little bit of a chuckle in, in that meeting, but uh, the reality was that they were much better at it. And uh, what took place on October 7th from just on a conventional warfare setting, how uh, the uh, Hamas, who's been trained by the Iranians, uh, uh, basically uh, went to ground and I used signal capabilities to be captured. Uh, only a few people initially knew about it. And then when the attack came, a lot of them didn't even know what the role of the other player is. I think it's going to be studied as uh, one of the better unconventional warfare assaults uh, against a uh, more powerful enemy. Now, we do know that in uh, uh, UW, of course, you can take hostages. We've trained that here when we're trying to establish insurgencies in countries, we do actually train that in the U.S., but you don't, you're not supposed to rape them and kill them like they were doing, but you're supposed to exchange them for dollars and money. The one thing, though, that uh, we're dealing with now is that war is on. You're going to have to be able to get in there and clean out Gaza. But the other issue is also uh, what is happening in uh, Lebanon. And as you were mentioning initially, uh, as to the possibility of Chinese weapons coming in. I know that in uh, 2020, Beirut explosion that took place in August of 2020, uh, where 218 deaths uh, uh, occurred and 7,000 injuries, um, there were uh, fuel that was found that actually is uh, fuel that would be used on Chinese missile technologies that some of that Hezbollah has. And I think a lot of people miss the connection of the fact that the Shanghai Corporation Organization that is led by China, which uh, Iran and uh, uh, Russia are signatorials to, was established to counter NATO and America's ability. And it's the only way China is able to extend its footprint within the region. Um, I do know that uh, China does have a sway also on Israel. Uh, they've had a historical relationship, but you're looking at it now. You have uh, somewhere around maybe three to 4,000 Chinese that are in Israel, especially in the port of Haifa, which was really turned over for management by the uh, Chinese. And those individuals are going to expand their numbers in the state of Israel for business and work. How do you uh, approach or how does Israel approach this issue, especially with the fact that recently Israel had to take the fight to the Hezbollah uh, command structures where Wassam uh, al-Tawil was killed in a strike, which says that that war is going to have to expand more likely strategically against Hezbollah. 
how does Israel conduct this fight with majority of the nations really saying we're allies by squeezing Israel's ability to really totally devastate Hamas and the Hezbollah? And with the fact that you have uh, uh, nations like China that uh, are supporting and backboning uh, Iran on the international level, that is actually the one that is using Hezbollah as a strategic re reserve for major fight against uh, Israel and as the one that actually trained Hamas to conduct their operations. How, from your diplomatic perspective, to counter uh, these global juggernauts that are more likely against Israel rather than their allies? Well, first of all, uh, Sargas, we're talking about China. Uh, this is how crazy things are. As you mentioned, China is managing the port of Haifa. And, you know, does no one think that they're not setting up intelligence resources as far as measuring shipping, etc.? I mean, I thought it was the, the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And if you think that was dumb, recently Israel sent out a call because so many uh, Israelis are in the reserves. Uh, they needed people to work in businesses, etc. So they invited uh, a lot of Indians, of course, an ally of Israel. They also invited Chinese to come in and be workers in Israel. Unbelievable. China uh, has been against Israel in this war. They condemn them. Uh, they obviously, the presence of Chinese weapons shows which side they're on. Uh, China wants to embed itself in the Middle East because they've approached Saudi Arabia uh, to try and get access to the oil, etc. And uh, you know, they're not a they're not a competitor, as uh, some people in this country call them. They're an adversary, and very close to being an enemy. Um, and Hezbollah has been working with China for a long time. You may re recall of the 2006 war of Israel and Hezbollah. Uh, Hezbollah fired a Chinese missile that, that sunk an Israeli ship. It was a, uh, a ground-to-sea missile. I forget what the name of it was. But uh, they've been getting weapons from there, as well as the Russians, of course, for a long time. Uh, they've also been getting assistance uh, from the North Koreans in building. They have a tunnel network that's every bit as vast and perhaps more sophisticated even than Hamas's tunnel network. They hide missiles that they could pull out and shoot at Israel, they're on tracks. They open up a trap door and they move the missile structure out and fire. Uh, they can drive trucks through them. Uh, so this is something that Israel has to grapple with. Uh, along with the fact that uh, Hezbollah has a very sophisticated uh, armed force of between 50 to 100,000 uh, troops. They're battle-hardened. They fought a lot in Syria. Uh, you know, we're bloodied in Syria, but nevertheless, they have battlefield experience. Uh, so, in essence, uh, it's a much more formidable enemy. And uh, as we continue the discussion, I'll add some things to that. I much appreciate it. Sobering thoughts, but uh, we will have a further discussion on it. I want to make sure I remind our listeners that... Uh, be sure to make AmericanOutLoud.com uh, your daily stop for the latest news and happenings. Uh, we all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, the videos, so that we can help secure America's future. We will be back with uh, Robert uh, on our discussions as to um, Israel and what it has to do, content but to include its uh, own allies 
to be able to win the war, not just against uh, Hamas, but the coming war against uh, Hezbollah. Changing the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flu, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. Welcome back to the uh, National Security Hour in our final segment uh, today with uh, Bob uh, Schwartz, who is a retired senior policy advisor at the Council General uh, of Israel in the Midwest. And um, Bob, I guess my my main question would be, and I got two really important pieces here, but I want to start off with the fact that I know that uh, the previous POTUS, when he initially went to Saudi Arabia, he did ask the Saudis, and he said, you got to purge Islamists out of your Mitts, you gotta make sure that they're basically purged, and the only way you could do it is really you have to do it through the uh, Islamic schools that are teaching the Quran and the uh, Word of uh, God uh, as being uh, the main guide to how every Muslim needs to live his life. Um, unfortunately, we had written an article for the Near East Center now going back years ago, almost more than a half a decade. And the question was asked, who speaks for Islam, who should? And I know that Turkey tries to become the lead for Islam, uh, establish a new Islamic caliphate. Uh, I know Saudi controls a lot of the uh, schools and the Wahhabist ideologies that are taught. Uh, I do know that uh, Egypt also at the same time has uh, major influences. Of course, we can't forget about the fact that Iran comes from a different school. But all of them do share one ideology, and that ideology, whether you're an Islamist or not, is actually in the Islamic scripts and books. I do have a section from the Quran, and for those who want to 
Uh, look it up. It's uh, book 56, Hadith 138. Book 56, Hadith 138. And what it states in that particular book 56, Hadith 138 of the Quran, and uh, this is a quote translation to English. It says, uh, Allah's Messenger said, uh, you, uh, Muslims in this case, will fight with the Jew until some of them hide behind stones. The stones will betray them, saying, O oh, Abdullah, slave of Allah, there is a Jew behind me, so kill him, unquote. How do you uh, approach foreign policy in modern age when you have an individual who believes that the word of God will have a stone turn around and tell it that there's a Jew hiding behind me, you got to kill it. How do you pursue a foreign policy against such an ideology, especially if there's not going to be any type of a reformation uh, movement within Islam from any of these schools that would counter or go contrary to what the book says? Well, it's very difficult, obviously, uh, and it explains for, for your audience to understand why when that false accusation was made that Israel bombed a hospital in northern Gaza, <clears throat> initially, excuse me, initially causing supposedly over 500 casualties, uh, the next day there were demonstrations around the world in, Islam, in Islamic uh, countries and Arab and Muslim countries as well as the West among the, mostly among the Islamic citizens of those countries in Europe and the US, uh, you know, massive violent demonstrations. Why was that? And if you, if you want to know why, you look at the root of it in the Quran that has this kind of hateful language. Uh, I mean, remember Islam, many people think Islam is close to the root of shalom, which means peace. Actually, Islam means submission to the will of Allah. And if you don't submit to the will of Allah, in other words, if you're a non-believer, a Christian or a Jew, uh, you are, you know, you're, you're an outsider. Uh, and you're somebody to be hated and conquered. And this is the basic mentality of it. You get some sophisticated people like Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, wants to build a new Saudi Arabia, advanced economy, etc. And supposedly before this, uh, the October 7th attack, he was very close to a normalization agreement with Israel based on interviews he had with, with Fox News and other sources. Um, after the October 7th attack, all of these countries, all the Abraham Accords countries that we had established relationships with, that uh, we felt this was the future, uh, None of them came out and said, look, we condemn what Hamas did. It doesn't represent Islam. Uh, none of them said that. Uh, they would make equivocal uh, statements about nobody should do this, and both sides should stop, etc. But, you know, how do you trust somebody that after an event like that won't come out and condemn the people that committed these types of atrocities? It's very hard to trust them again. I mean, we'll have to to some extent, but it's like, uh, I think as Ronald Reagan said, trust but verify, uh, we have to know where they really stand. Because as you correctly point out, this is the underlying uh, uh, guide, or the underlying philosophy of Islam. 
uh, it's a uh, Islam is the the uh, the end game of all religions of Judaism, Christianity, etc. Uh, Islam is the supreme the supreme uh, belief. So as far as foreign policy towards that, uh, it's very difficult. But you have to keep it in the back of your head that whatever they're going to tell you, uh, you have to also watch what they do and how they relate to you. I mean, Saudi Arabia, for instance, even though Mohammed bin Salman wants to establish, I believe he wants to establish a relationship with Israel. A recent poll of uh, Saudis, uh, over 90% said that Saudi Arabia should break off any contact with Israel and should support Hamas. 90% of the people there. And in essence, this is the fruit of decades of the Arab states demonizing and dehumanizing Israel and supporting everything uh, in the UN and international bodies and in their own policies uh, that would undermine uh, Israel, any relations with Israel. So the Abraham Accords were the beginning of a change, but we have a long way to go uh, because basically the Arab rulers, the Arab governments have to have the guts to confront the street and say, you know what? We were wrong all these decades, and the Israelis are not a threat, and they can be a big help to us uh, in some of our aspirations, and hope that it penetrates downward. It's going to take a long time. It'll take a long time to uh, de-radicalize the Palestinians. Palestinians, recent polls have said over 70% believe that Hamas did the right thing, and they support Hamas, and that's the reason Abbas who's in his 18th year of a four-year term, didn't have elections because he would lose. Uh, It's very simple. He had elections in 2006 that he lost. I think even the mayor of Bethlehem at the time was Hamas. So this is, uh, you know, this is the way things are. And they see Hamas and these other groups as leading the charge to eliminate Israel from the Middle East, what I spoke of before. And they're the ones that are successful. The Palestinian Authority even though they're really not working that well with Israel, they're seen as collaborators. You know, if you're not working towards the destruction of this little Satan, as Iran calls Israel, and working against the United States, they're very anti-U.S. as well, because they see the U.S. as the main supporter of Israel, which it is. Uh, but nevertheless, they're, uh, they're absolutely opposed uh, to these forces and supporting Hamas. What do you do? How do you wean people off this this idea, despite the fact that they've been destroyed, that their houses are destroyed over and over again, that people are killed, Hamas doesn't give a damn uh, about their own civilians, and they keep clinging to this. You know, what's the explanation? How do you fix it? Um, You know, I have some ideas on it, but, uh, you know, there seem to be extreme. Most of the ideas that are coming out of the administration, for instance, uh, Anthony Blinken is in Israel, I believe, today. I don't know if he's still there, but he's been visiting, and this and this really reflects the sort of, I don't know if it's naivete or the just stupidity. His trip to the Middle East, he started in Greece, which is an ally of Israel, that's fine. Then he goes to Turkey, which is a member of NATO, but nevertheless undermines NATO. Uh, President Erdogan is a Muslim Brotherhood the same group that Hamas is part of, the same Egyptian organization established back in 1927. It's a radical organization. And Erdogan is part of it. During his presidency, 
uh, relations with Israel have greatly deteriorated. We used to have a very decent relationship with Turkey. Uh, we still have a, a pretty good relationship as far as business goes. But uh, he called Israelis Nazis last week. And this is a guy you're talking to to settle the situation. Uh, a good friend of both of ours, Richard Goldberg, wrote a very good article about what should not happen after the Gaza war ends. And one of his points was neither Turkey nor Qatar, which is, uh, or Qatar as I always called it, I don't know what the proper pronunciation is, but Qatar is a uh, is both the arsonist and the fireman. They start these they start these conflicts. They support terrorism in Gaza, the West Bank, etc. They support uh, anti-Israel sentiment, anti-Semitic sentiment in universities. They are the biggest single contributor to American universities, to Middle East study uh, centers. Uh, they fund groups like Students for Justice in Palestine. Uh, the Council of American Islamic Relations, those types of groups, mostly funds from Qatar uh, and Hamas. And uh, so they're a source of a lot of this uh, hatred of the U.S. and of Israel. And yet they're going to be called in to negotiate hostages and to help uh, resolve the situation. So Rich Goldberg said neither Turkey nor Qatar should have any role in a post, uh, post-war Gaza or West Bank. And he's absolutely correct, of course. And then he went to Jordan, who we have a, a peace agreement with. But Jordan, you have to remember, is 60% majority Palestinian. Uh, the uh, royal family, the Hashemites, uh, are from Saudi Arabia. And basically, Jordan has been ruled by a coalition of the Hashemites and Bedouins. But the Palestinians are now over 60% of the population. They haven't had a census for a while, but that's the case. Uh, so that explains why he said no way in the world are there any Palestinians going to come to Jordan because they're going to destabilize the country even further. And Egypt, the same way. They don't want Muslim Brotherhood, Hamas, coming into Egypt. They got rid of uh, uh, of the Muslim Brotherhood Prime Minister, al-Sisi. Uh, the, these are arch enemies to the Egyptians. Uh, so when people look at the day after and they say, well, we could have something like we could bring in the PA to rule Gaza. Now, the Palestinian Authority, first of all, has not condemned formally yet what Hamas did. They made statements from the leadership and everybody else saying we are one with Hamas and you can't destroy Hamas because they're part of the Palestinian people. Unlike what people were saying all the time, including President Biden, uh, that oh, uh, Hamas is separate from the Palestinian people. There's, they're not part of it. They're a separate group. Well, they're not. As all the polls I cited show, the vast majority of people in Gaza and in the West Bank support Hamas to rule over any kind of Palestinian entity. So, you know, to bring in the Palestinian Authority, which has been rapidly anti-Israel for decades, nobody nobody forgets the Second Intifada, which uh, was launched against Israel, uh, which Sharon finally had to bring in the troops and build the fence and stop it. But when I started at the consulate, I mean, the first week I was there, there was a Mahana Yehuda bombing, and I was there as a press officer during the Second Intifada, such horrific things as the Sabaro restaurant attack, the bus attacks, the Passover massacre, again, another holiday uh, in which the Palestinians decided, let's kill Jews. And they destroyed a lot of people, including many Holocaust survivors. Uh, so this is not a group that has ever uh, been willing to to work with Israel. Every time they've been offered 
the two-state solution or any other solution, they walked away. Arafat walked away from Bill Clinton. You know, basically, these were generous offers. He rejected Ehud Omer's offer to give them like 98% of their territory and a land swap for the rest of it. And they walked away because they don't want a state. They want to destroy Israel. Uh, so that's one thing that, that we have to keep in mind when they're talking about possible solutions. As I mentioned before, uh, they were talking about building a buffer zone. Buffer zones don't work. They didn't work on the northern border. UN Resolution 1701, Security Council Resolution, said that Hezbollah had to be moved 20 kilometers back from the border, north of the Latani River. Guess what? Not only is Hezbollah right on the border, but there are Palestinian groups that Hamas has set up that are right on the border, which Hezbollah would most likely use as a first strike force to invade Israel and try and do the same thing on the north that the Palestinians that Hamas did in the south. Uh, so that's a complete waste of time. Uh, another idea that's come up is to use uh, some of the ruling families, Palestinian families in Gaza, and put them in charge. Uh, I can see that scenario uh, where the family that's chosen is attacked by the families that weren't. It's a recipe for chaos. It's just stupid. So, you know, it's uh, basically, look, we have to basically destroy uh we have to destroy Hamas's forces. We have to destroy them politically. And we have to start destroying the ideas that they perpetuate, the Islamist ideas, which are uh, starting in, at the age of five in schools and summer camps where people are learn, people learn, the kids learn to hate Israel and to treat them as, as animals, etc. Uh, that has to stop. The UNRWA has to be removed from Gaza and the West Bank. They should, they have no role and the agency should be disbanded. They don't need their own separate agency. Uh, and basically, Israel has to figure out a way. First of all, there has to be a military presence if Gaza is going to continue to exist as a Palestinian entity. Israel has to, has to be there militarily in a great presence. They have to retake control of the Philadelphia corridor into Egypt to prevent any kind of smuggling of weapons. And they have to be there for the long haul. Nobody wants to reoccupy Gaza, as they say. Uh, the Israeli president, the prime minister says, we don't want to reoccupy, we don't want to be there. I guess one obvious solution that nobody's talking about is to simply move the people of Gaza. And this is my idea. I'll take responsibility for it. Move the people of Gaza to the West Bank to consolidate them into one Palestinian entity whereby both Israel and Jordan can watch what's going on. There'll be a military presence in the West Bank. They have to clean out first the Palestinian Authority corrupt and Islamist uh, terror government and basically rebuild the whole thing from scratch. Uh, promise the Palestinians that they'll have a better life and possibly bring in the Abraham Accord countries to finance it because Israel can't afford to finance it. They have to rebuild themselves uh, rebuild their economy and uh, reconstitute the settlements in the south, and they have to move back there. They have to be be able to feel safe to move to the south, to move back to the northern border. Nobody wants a war with Hezbollah, but if that's what it takes for Israelis to feel secure on all fronts, that's what we have to do. Uh, this idea would remove a front that Israel has to be concerned with along Gaza and the Gaza would then be open to be rebuilt. 
and we could settle people in there and there'd be some secure borders for the first time in Israel's history. And I think that's, uh, that's where we ought to leave it. No, much appreciated. Thank you very much, uh, Robert. I I wish we had more time. Again, um, for our listeners, um, you just heard from Bob Schwartz, a retired senior policy advisor at the Council General uh, of Israel to the Midwest. Um, I do know that, uh, you know, maybe there is a possibility of thinking about just having everybody in the the um, uh, uh, maybe uh, out of Gaza Serb given an opportunity uh, to move to the West Bank, but um, again, if the ideology doesn't change, you're just putting them closer actually to uh, to Israel, and of course, they still have tunnels uh, and maybe much better developed there. But uh, look, my personal opinion, I thought that uh, with the Abraham Accords and Israel achieving some success, everything that happened uh, was for the better term was to try to bring Israel to heal for the interests of not just the Shanghai Cooperation Organization countries, which Turkey is a signatorial to uh, under China's lead uh, and with Russia sitting in um, uh, in Syria, uh, but at the same time uh, uh, to possibly break Israel's ability to really uh, be in a position of power to reshape the uh, Near East uh, and the Middle East in the next decade. Uh, and uh, some folks, unfortunately, in the current administration uh, are uh, much more happy from their perspective to where Israel is not struggling and relying on his uh, partners and allies to help him in this fight. Uh, Bob, God blessing, much appreciated. We'll have you back again. Um, I want to make sure our viewers know that you can find out more about my show and get all the latest podcasts if you go to the menu nav bar at americaoutloud.com under our show or schedule, you will be in the know. Uh, again, uh, thank you very much. Thanks to you for Bob being here. And also thanks uh, to our listeners for joining us on the mission. The National Security Hour is the tip of the spear and the epic battle to defend the United States of America with uh, liberty and justice for all.